0: If you're able, would you grab your Bible, remain standing, grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, this is the word of our Lord. We're going to start reading in verse 1 and we're going to read through verse 14. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would enlighten our eyes and our hearts, that we might see wonderful things concerning you in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The uh, story of the advent of Christ, the story of the birth of Christ, the, the uh, events Immediately preceding it and the events immediately following it are told in the book of Luke through songs. Two weeks ago, we saw Mary's reaction to the announcement that she that uh, she was pregnant with the Savior of the world in her song, The Magnificat. And then last week, Pastor Lynch co- uh, talked about the Benedictus. That is Zacharias' song in reaction to John the Baptist's birth. You remember the story where... Uh, Zacharias doubted what the angel had told him about uh, uh, his wife conceiving a baby in her old age, and he became moot uh, till the baby was born, at which point he was able to speak, and then he sang to the Lord. Today, we want to consider the song of the angels in response to the birth of Jesus. Uh, we find that in verse 14 of our passage. And as we do that, I want us to see that Christmas is essentially about the glory of God. That's really what Christmas is about. That's what the advent of Christ is about, is the glory of God. Now, ultimately, this is true of Christmas because it's true of all of life. All of life is about the glory of God. We have been made to glorify Him. We've been made to enjoy Him. So all of life must be about the glory of God. So Christmas also must be about the glory of God. And as we look at this passage, don't let your familiarity with the, this passage rob you of its beauty. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the words, and it came to pass in those days that the decree went out from Caesar Augustus and so on? What's the first voice? What's the first thing that comes into your mind? What? Linus. Linus. Exactly. Charlie Brown. Christmas. And... uh, (laughs) I'm glad they have that there. But you see how our minds don't necessarily go to the most glorious place right off the bat. And often, that's where my mind goes too when I first hear these words, Linus reciting it in a Charlie Brown Christmas. And we become so familiar with things that we don't even notice that they're there. How many times do we notice... Mount Rainier, as we drive up and down I-5 this morning, I made the purpose of noticing it because I was going to say that here this morning. And it was glorious. The bottom you couldn't see because it's covered with clouds, but the top was bright and the the rays were coming through just right. And we see that in a glorious way there. But often we don't even notice that that is there because it just becomes so familiar with it that we don't notice the beauty of it. Uh, there in Tyre, I was on the fifth floor of an apartment building that uh, faced the Mediterranean, and there was no nothing in front of it. And it, was, it was quite a bit of distance, but there's no bigger buildings in front of it, so could, I could see the sunset every every evening. And I would sit there and just stare at it. And in my mind, was it would be going that this it, it, it was beautiful in and of itself. But in my mind, the thought was, this is the same sunset that 2,000 years ago, Jesus and His disciples looked into. Because as the book of Matthew tells us, Jesus ministered to the the, the people in Tyre when He comes and heals the daughter of the Syrophoenician woman. Remember that story where the woman comes to Him and says, Heal my daughter. And He says, I came to lost tribes of Israel. I did not come to a Gentile dog like you. And the woman says... But even the dogs eat from the crumbs of the master's table. And he goes, great is your faith. Your daughter is healed. That took place in entire Lebanon. Jesus was looking at the same view as I was. And I, I brought that up to the people who live there and said, what sunset? They've grown so used to the beauty of it that they just even notice anymore. And we tend to grow too familiar with... Uh, Passages in the Bible, as well as we do the centering. So, as we look at this passage, let the familiarity of it go put aside. Now, one of the challenges of preaching Christmas sermons every year, or doing an Advent series about every other year, is that uh, I try to find creative passages to talk about Christmas. And this year I just gave up on it. And uh, let's go to an obvious one uh, here in Luke chapter 2. But let's not let the just how familiar we are with the story, rob us from seeing the beauty that is in it. As we, as we do that, as we focus on it, let's take a look at the scene as a as a whole. What we see here as the chapter begins is the hand of God guiding a wicked ruler to make a pronouncement that's going to lead to the fulfillment of prophecy. So uh, Jesus and not Jesus, but Joseph and Mary live in Nazareth in Galilee. So up north uh, as far as Israel goes. And they're, they're, there's no reason to leave there. And yet, Micah 5 says that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, not in Nazareth. All of a sudden, Caesar Augustus, the emperor, says, you know what, I want to count everybody in the empire. And you know why politicians wanted to count the people, right? You know why the emperor wanted to count the people? Why? Taxes. The more citizens, the more taxes, right? And they wanted to raise armies and all that. So let's count the people. And Mary and Joseph finds themselves on the way to to Bethlehem because of the order of this wicked king. And yet, it is what God has done in order to fulfill the prophecy in Micah 5. And how true it is that the hearts of emperors and kings and governors and presidents are in the hands of the Lord and they turn in the whatever direction the Lord wants them to turn. And while they were in Bethlehem to register themselves in the census, Jesus arrived. You see that in verses 6 and 7. And when that happens, then the most majestic Christmas cantata breaks out in heaven. Look, in verse 8, we read, "Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock." By night, as a side note, the people in Lebanon cannot understand why the Western Church celebrates Christmas in December because they are just a few hundred kilometers north of what this is, and there 's no sheep on the field during the time of this, this time of the year. <laughs> If you have your sheep on the field during this time of the year, you don't know what you're doing as a shepherd. <laughs> so, 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 you know, it could work every other year, every other month of the, of the year, but not December, because there's no sheep on uh, the field. But here we have this great, magnificent thing happening in heaven, and the Savior is born, and the angel comes to notify the world that the Savior is born, and to whom does he go to? To whom does he go? To the shepherds. To the lowly. To the least- thought of group in society. The shepherds were considered the lowest possible uh, group in society. They were thought of liars and thieves. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with them. And the angel announces the Savior of the world is born and I'm going to tell you the lowliest of the lowlies. Right from the beginning, right from birth our Savior was lowly. He was gentle and lowly, identified himself with the lowly. It is to them that the angels come to announce the birth of the Savior of the world. And as the angel is finished with the announcement of Jesus' birth, all heaven breaks forth in praising God. Look at verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. Can you imagine that scene? I mean, as, uh, the, today, in a regular year, we've been the year where we would have a Christmas Sunday school program. Uh, there have been today where the little kids come and they sing and it's always glorious and uh, then the choir perhaps would sing on Thursday and that is always, always great as well but nothing, nothing like this where the heavens are open and the hosts of heaven are in unison singing praises to the God of the universe who became flesh like one of us so that we could be redeemed by Him. It's interesting that it's almost the same song, the same scene, as we find in Revelation 19, which is our text for next week, for the second coming of the Lord, when He comes not as a babe in a manger, but as the ruler and judge and king of the universe, to restore His church, to raise us from the dead, and to judge the wicked. In Revelation 19, verse 1, we read, After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, saying, Alleluia! Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God, both advance, both comings of Jesus, marked by the heavens just breaking forth in song. And the content of the song here in Luke 2, verse 14, was the glory of God and the peace that Jesus Christ brings between God and man, and man and man. It's an interesting thing in talking to the Arabs, both, uh, I talked to, I talked to, Syrian Arabs, I talked to Lebanese Arabs, I talked to Yemeni, not enemy, Yemeni, from Yemen, uh, Arabs. And they say, you know what, it's great that the different Western uh, governments want to to broker peace uh, in the Arab world and so on, but it's not going to happen till the Arabs bow their knees to Jesus Christ. And that's really the message that the angel brings, goodwill and peace to man on earth. The Savior came to bring peace between God and man, and between man and men. Look at the verse 14. That's the content. That's the song that they're singing. This is a song that the heavens are singing. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward man. We can see here that essential to that first Christmas And I think essential to every Christmas is giving glory to God. The reaction that the heavens had to the birth of Christ was glory to God. That's the first thing that came into the minds of the angels. Glory to God as a Savior is born. And as we think of that, I think the first question we need to ask ourselves is, what is glory? Because I think glory is one of those abstract concepts that we tend not to really understand what it is. What is the first thing that comes to your mind as you think of glory? The natural picture that comes to my mind when I think of glory is blinding brightness and fluffy clouds. That's that's this whiteness. And somewhere in there, there are clouds, puffy ones as well, when I think of glory. What is is glory? What is it that you think glory is? In the uh, Hebrew mind, as we look at the Hebrew word, For glory, the the Hebrew word that's generally translated glory in the Old Testament, it has the idea of being heavy. A commentator says, It seems that in the Hebrew mind, a person's importance was thought of in terms of weightiness. So at 267 pounds, I'm a very glorious person. (laughs) As far as in the Old Testament concept of glory, uh, I, I don't know. You uh, remember the story of Ehud? Is that Ehud, the judge Ehud in the Old Testament, where he comes and he, he comes to confront this king that is subjugating Israel, and says he says that the king was glorious because he was very big. You know, to the point where when Ehud stabs him with his left hand, the fat comes all around, the, even the how do you call the back part? The, hilt, we'll go with that, of, uh, of the knife. That's not how they call it in forging forged fire. They call it something different, but uh, the tank is the metal. Oh, forget it. <laughs> David, let's post the last message, not this one. Uh, but that's the idea of the word glory in the Old Testament. It's this is heaviness that's present in the, the, the notion of glory. In the New Testament, the word generally translated as glory come from the verb to think, doxa. Referring to the opinion a person holds about himself or to what others think about him, that is, his reputation. So your glory has to do with your reputation. Putting both of these ideas together, glory refers to a person's importance. That's what glory is. And when it refers to God in the expression the glory of God in our passage, it is the inescapable weight of the sheer goodness and holiness of God. God chooses to display His glory by His goodness and holiness. These two attributes are the ones that most often in the Bible associated with His glory. God wants His people to know Him as good. God's glory is His being God. So when the Bible speaks of the glory of God, it's speaking of His sheer goodness and holiness. So when Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, that's what the heavens are doing, declaring the goodness and the holiness of God. And that's what the angels are doing in the heavens, declaring glory to God in the highest. In Exodus 33, verses 18 and 19, Moses asks the following of God. He says, Please, Show me your glory. And this is how God answers that request for Moses to see his glory. God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And God equates his glory with his goodness. But not only goodness, his holiness as well. In Isaiah 6, where we come before the throne of God, the very holiest place in the heavens and Jesus Christ in the pre incarnate form, he's sitting on the throne. We have these creatures sitting around him and they're singing. And they sing, What? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with what? His glory. So, what is glory, as in the glory of God, is God's weighty, inescapable goodness and holiness. And God has given His people concrete tokens of His glory throughout the ages. In the Old Testament, the cloud and the pillar of fire that led the people of God into the promised land was a concrete token of His glory. The biggest token, though, of His glory in the Old Testament was the Shekinah that dwelt in the most holy place in the temple. Remember the story of the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings 8 where the, the priests of ministry in the Holy of Holies and all of a sudden this heaviness comes upon them. This glory, the Shekinah comes upon them to the point that it's so heavy that they can't minister there anymore and they leave the temple altogether because of the presence of the glory of God in that heaviness there. To which Solomon says, the Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and I place for you to dwell in forever. In that heaviness, in that Shekinah, God, God dwelt. And this, this idea of dwell is important. We're going to consider that in just a moment. So God has given all these concrete, tangible tokens of His glory throughout the history of His people. In these last days, and for all eternity though, the greatest demonstration of God's glory is Jesus Christ Himself. Do you want to see God's glory? Stare at the face of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and did what? And dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This word dwelt there in First John, John one fourteen is the word for pitched a tent, built up a tabernacle. What was the tabernacle in the Old Testament? What did the people do in the tabernacle? When the tabernacle was set up, Everything was ready to go. What did people go there to do? They went there to meet, to pray, sir. Whoever said that is good. But they ultimately went there to meet God. Jesus is that place where we meet God and we meet God in His glory. It is in Jesus Christ that we see the glory, the goodness, and the holiness of God. He dwells among us and we see His glory. No, uh, God told Moses, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That sanctuary is Jesus Christ, and He is the glory of the Father. And that's why the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews 1.3 says, Christ, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. So God displays His glory, His goodness and holiness through Jesus Christ. The only way to know God as God is, is to know Him through faith in Jesus Christ. So the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of God the Son, is is most appropriately heralded by the angels with the statement, Glory to God in the highest. It is in that manger, it is in that stable, it is surrounded by animals in poverty, that we see the most glorious being, the Lord Jesus Christ, at His birth. His entire life was intended to glorify God, to being, to bring glory to God. As he comes to the end of his life, and he prays in in that last night, on that Thursday night, in in uh, John seventeen four, he says, "Father, I have glorified you on the earth." He did exactly what the God, what God called him to do. And let me repeat this so that we have it clear in our minds. You cannot know God as God unless you know Him through faith in Jesus Christ. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. There's no other way. The Muslims do not worship the same God as we do. They don't know the God of the Bible. The Jehovah's Witnesses don't know the God of the Bible. The Mormons don't know the God of the Bible. The Jews do not worship the same God as we do, and they don't know the God of the Bible, because the only way to know God is through Jesus Christ. And we need to be convinced of that if we're going to disciple the nations. People of God, are you convinced that the only way you can know God, the only way you can approach God is through His glorious Son, Jesus Christ? It is with that conviction that we're going to once again turn the world upside down. But if we don't have that conviction, we have no hope. And we might as well just go home and watch the Seahawks, because there's nothing for us here. But Christ is the glory of God. He came in the flesh for us. And Jesus gives us the glory of God, and yet we often are satisfied with less than that. We are satisfied with so, so little when God gives us His glorious Son. Instead of turning to Him, we turn to other things. We, we Instead of seeking the glory of God in Jesus Christ, we turn to pornography. We turn to food. We turn to work. We turn to TV and whatever else. And that's nothing. That's so little when God has given us the glory of His Son. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a famous Passage, and this uh, I found it quoted by Paul Tripp and Tim Lane in one of the book, where he says, Louis says, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition with infinite joy when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it meant by the offer of a holiday. At the sea, we are far too easily pleased. When you and I are not consumed with the Christ, we're just playing with mud. When an offer uh, is holiday in San Diego by the beach is offered to us, Christ is glorious. So the angel gives glory to God in the highest. And he says that's what we are to do as followers of Jesus Christ as well. So let me ask you this. How do we glorify God? And perhaps that's a premature question. Perhaps I should say, start with a question. What does it mean to glorify God? If the glory of God is His being God, we cannot make Him any more God than He already is. So when we glorify Him, we're not adding to His glory because if He changed His glory, then He would not have been God to begin with. When we glorify God, we're not adding to His glory, but we're declaring His glory. So when we trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation, we are declaring the glory of God, His Godness in our lives. When we obey what He says in His Word through faith in Jesus Christ, we are declaring that God is God and that we're not. And that's really our biggest problem. We want to be God, not let God be God. But when we follow Him in obedience through faith in Christ, we're declaring, no God, you are God and I am not. So that is what glorifying God is. It's following Him, believing in Jesus Christ, and then following Him as a new creature in Christ. But back to the question of how. How can we glorify God? We can, glor- we can only glorify God through Jesus Christ. No other, there's no other way to glorify God apart from Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the whole salvation thing is about the glory of God. If you were to turn to Ephesians chapter 1... He said, Paul goes on and says, The blessed is the Lord Jesus. Blessed is God who turned us, who chose us before eternity passed and adopted us in Jesus Christ. For what? Why? For the praise of his glorious grace, the praise of his glory. The glory of God is displayed when we worship together according to his word. This, we're glorifying God even as we meet here today. Remember when Moses went up the mountain? And he came before God and worshiped Him. And then he came down. And then he went about doing his own business. Remember what the people said? Moses, your face is shining. Hide it from us. Moses didn't even know. He just went about his daily business. And because he had come before God in worship and descended the mountain of worship, his face was glowing with God's glory. And just by doing the mundane and things of everyday life, people saw the glory of God in him because his faith in the Messiah. And we glorify God when we obey Jesus because of our faith in Him. We glorify God when because when we obey God because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Not because we're trying to work out His favor. Remember what Ephesians 2 8 says? That we have been saved by grace, through faith, and that not of ourselves, but it's a gift of God. And then verse 10 comes along and says that we are what? We are God's workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works. We obey because we have been redeemed, so that when we do the good works, people look at us. When we do the things that God calls us to do, people look at us and say, glory be to God, because this is a follower, follower of Jesus Christ. So being a faithful missionary to an unreached people group brings great glory to God, but so does being a godly spouse. Because we do it by faith in Jesus Christ. Being willing to die for the sake of Christ brings great glory to God, but so does being a kid who obeys his parents. Being a faithful pastor brings honor to God, but also being a faithful carpenter, a faithful school teacher, a faithful salesperson, a faithful nurse, a faithful retiree, a faithful student, lab technician, accountant, soldier, estimator, secretary, homeschool teacher, all that brings glory to God when it's done through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know where God is most glorified in our lives? It's not in the big things. It's, it's easy to try to do the big things for the glory of God. But how about Tuesday at 3 o'clock? Or Wednesday at 8 a.m.? The mundane every day, breakfast with the family, figuring out what the schedule for the day is. That's where the glory of God is found, in the thousands of little mundane everyday moments of life that drives us to depend on the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And then that brings us back to Luke chapter 2. Do you notice the reaction that the announcement of the glory of God uh, brought upon the shepherds. Do, do you notice what the shepherds did once the angels declared God to God in the highest? In verse 15 says, Let go to, let's go to Jesus. Let's see this thing that the angels said. The godness of God, the glory of God must drive us to Jesus. Jesus is the God-man who brings us together with God. Jesus is that cleft on the rock that allows us to be in the presence of the glory of God and yet survive and benefit from that. People of God, hold on to Jesus, the Jesus of Christianity, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of God. Don't let anyone tell you that there is another Christmas essential that is not anchored on the Jesus of the Bible. And if you're not a believer here, Come into the presence of God's magnificent glory right now through faith in Jesus Christ. Don't harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. Embrace Christ and follow Him and join the angels in heaven singing glory to God in the highest. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that you are God who speaks. and you speak to us through your word and the proclamation of it. Open our hearts to receive what was proclaimed here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.